And now it's time to discuss more of the headlines and simple keywords with Adam joining us via Zoom. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, Lena. The days are getting colder every day. <laughs> Happy Monday. It is frigid indeed. <laughs> yes, certainly is. Minus 11 degrees Celsius. Lovely. Plunging to apparently up to minus 18. Looking forward to braving the outdoors. Uh, I don't know if I have any uh, clothes that will keep me warm enough for those temperatures, but <laughs> I'll have to invest some uh, money into some more warm clothing. Puffy coats. It's the yeah. national uniform, is it not? Apparently, we're advised to layer up more than just having one fat layer outside. So do that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I should do that. Uh, yeah, definitely. All Some right. uh, warm materials as well. <laughs> All right, let's jump into some of these major headlines for our listeners beyond the weather, obviously. This is our first keyword of the day. Missile launches. So North Korea has fired two ballistic missiles into the waters off its east coast, prompting yet another strong response from South Korea. What's the latest development, Adam? Yeah, so this has been kind of a repeated pattern lately. Uh, North Korea's provocations and condemnations coming from South Korea, no different this time round. Uh, North Korea fired two medium-range ballistic missiles from the uh, Dongchangni area into the East Sea. The uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff said they flew some 500 kilometers after being launched at steep angles, saying they were capable of reaching uh, Japanese territory. Mm. It added that South Korean and the U.S. intelligence authorities are conducting a thorough analysis, uh, factoring recent trends related to North Korea's missile development. South Korea also convened a National Security Council meeting and strongly condemned the North for escalating tensions. That's usual procedure with such cases. Uh, the presidential official added that the North's continued provocations and development of nuclear weapons and missiles would further endanger the regime. So, again, a hardline rhetoric coming from Seoul. Uh, the launches follow North Korea's claim on Friday, in fact, that it had successfully tested a solid-fueled rocket motor, whether that was used, remains to be seen. Um, experts say the development could lead to the regime being able to more quickly and reliably fire an intercontinental ballistic missile in the future. Uh, Seoul's chief nuclear negotiator, Kim Gunn, held phone talks with his U.S. and Japanese counterparts, Sun Kim and Takahiro Funakoshi, uh, respectively, to discuss the latest launches and, and response measures. They also condemned the provocations and stressed the importance of a stern international response, pledging, pledging to bolster bilateral and trilateral cooperation over the issue. Um, some watchers claimed that the latest launch could be Pyongyang's reaction to last week's passage uh, of a UN resolution that called for global efforts to improve human rights conditions on the North. Um, and it also follows, in fact, uh, a U.S. Space Force unit mm -hmm. uh, setting up shop here in South Korea as well. Um, on Friday, Japanese cabinet also endorsed uh, this key security document uh, that embraced counter-strike capability that would pave the way for the country to launch a counter-attack should its and its ally, the U.S., come under attack, possibly from the north. But we'll be getting onto the details of that in our next keyword. Mm. Uh, Adam, it does seem like the larger narrative of North Korea's weapons testing and South Korea's response jointly with especially the U.S. and Japan has been similar. But there are some red flags here. The region at which they fired missiles from, Dongchangni, and also the fact that it could be the testing of a new solid fuel engine. However, as mm. you've said, maybe some of these points we'll have to discuss in further detail in the coming days. In a related keyword, let's move on to our second keyword of the day. 
Counter-strike plan. So South Korea is expressing concern over Japan's desire for counter-strike capabilities and its renewed claim over the Tokyo Islands in the East Sea. But the presidential office says it can see why Tokyo has made such plans. Right. Made such plans in terms of the counter-strike uh, capabilities, not so much with the Tokyo Islands. Of course, that's always been a, uh, a key uh, issue that's uh, kind of been the cause of frosty relations between the two countries. But the revised national security strategy, it is the first revision in nine years. It includes provisions that would enable the country to have capabilities to directly carry out counterattacks on enemy missile firing bases. Now, this could potentially allow for Japan to launch direct strikes against missile bases in North Korea or China. Uh, South Korea argues for closer consultation on defense issues um, uh, with Seoul and worries that the national security strategy could violate Japan's constitution uh, that limits the military. The government stressed that the need uh, for close consultations with Seoul and Korea's approval in advance on issues that have a significant impact on the security of the Korean Peninsula and national interest. Now, a Japanese government official told reporters on Friday that Japan does not need permission from other countries regarding the exercise of its counterattack capabilities, adding it's a matter for Tokyo to decide on its own. Um, Japan also revealed it will double its military spending over the next five years, citing uh, threats posed by China and North Korea. Uh, it did stop short of mentioning a constitutional amendment. Um, the security document does indicate that Japan is kind of veering away from the pacifist constitution, though, something that has been kind of a, a plan of uh, Tokyo ever since, um, say, a decade ago, from the, uh, since the late uh, Japanese Prime Minister uh, Shinzo Abe. Um, and it has kind of the these the conservative government has intensified the push for an amendment uh, to Japan's pacifist constitution, and because there's mm. been so much backlash, it seems like they're trying to do so in kind of steady steps, kind of steering a little bit towards that way. With this uh, revision to the national security strategy being one of them, uh, but the Japanese public has also been divided on the issue as well. Hence, why the Japanese government can't really hastily move on. Uh, with such a plan. Um, a presidential office official here, though, said the government could see why Japan was taking such measures in terms of its defense uh, strategy amid increasing provocations um, from North Korea. But overall, it is kind of opposed to the idea because it does certainly point to a move away from the pacifist constitution. Uh, meanwhile, the document, as you mentioned, also describes the Tokto Islets as Japan's inherent territory. Uh, Korea said it will sternly respond to any provocations over the islets. All right. Meanwhile, uh, we talked about the uh, town hall style meeting uh, last week, uh, last Thursday, I believe, uh, where President Yoon, of course, proposed a larger framework for what's to be expected in the coming year, where the focus would be. We talked about reforming pensions, labor and education particularly. Let's talk about what's to be expected, our third keyword of the day. Policy briefing. So President Yoon will receive policy briefings from various ministries this week. So building on that larger blueprint, uh, what can we expect? Right. So it is the second such kind of policy briefings mm. uh, that the president will be receiving under his uh, administration. Now, the briefings will follow, as you said, a meeting last week that checked progress on Yoon's administration's key policy tasks in the form of that town hall meeting. Uh, the briefings are being seen as part of efforts to accelerate implementation of key policies. Uh, ministers will likely present ideas as well for such implementations. The Finance Ministry 
will start the briefing from Wednesday. It'll likely present its forecast for the economy next year, as well as key economic and financial plans, um, whether the economic kind of, you know, recession or uh, gloomy data is the reason why the finance ministry is starting off briefings uh, is possibly uh, one of the reasons why it's starting it. But mm -hmm. certainly the economic situation both here uh, and abroad are quite dire at the moment. Um, now, the presidential office said the ministries will uh, be uh, will be involved in plans to reform pensions and labor education, labor and education. Uh, and they'll, of course, present related policies mm -hmm. to um move on with that and it added that the format with this round of briefings will be similar to a public announcement on policy rather than the minister's kind of normal briefing to the president uh, the top office said they would be a kind of continuation of the town hall meeting uh, that addressed details of uh, plans and policies uh, the briefings will also be different to last time in that some ministries will attend sessions together rather than one ministry at a time giving briefings um, in order to coordinate policies and mm -hmm. have debates where debates are needed. All right. So it seems that they want to double down on efficiency. We'll have to see how that pans out. Let's move on to our COVID coverage of the day. Our fourth keyword. Mask rule. So it seems that Korea is likely to lift its indoor mask mandate from early next year, but in two stages. Can you tell us the details of the plan? Right, so uh, nothing confirmed yet. These are just reports uh, for the moment, so do take this uh, with a grain of salt. But according to multiple health authorities, the lifting of the mandate could start with uh, schools and public offices. And under this two-stage plan, however, the mandatory indoor mask rule will reportedly continue to be applied, though, at highly densely uh, populated spaces, such as public transportation and medical institutions especially ones that are attended frequently by the elderly. Mm. Uh, the government, however, is still in discussion about exactly when to implement the stage one plan. Another area for discussion is whether to include other public spaces frequently visited by the elderly, such as, say, supermarkets, along with uh, schools and public offices. So basically those facilities that are reportedly included in stage one, um, some could also be not included as well. We'll have to see what the announcement is. Um, it is expected, though, that the first stage could be as early as January 21st, when the Lunar New Year holiday begins. However, a later date is also reportedly being considered, as the number of confirmed COVID-19 cases is on the rise as well. Um, the second stage is expected to be basically a full lifting uh, of the mandate. So it could be a while uh, before we see that um, being implemented. Uh, the KDCA recently announced a set of indicators based on which it will decide uh, when to lift the mask mandate. They include the number of daily cases, uh, the reproduction rate, which is the number of new infections caused by one person, um, and the medical capacity in emergency rooms, the number of critical cases, as well as booster vaccination coverage among the elderly population. Uh, experts who generally agree that the mask requirements should eventually end uh, gave widely differing views on the appropriate timing to remove uh, masks indoors. Uh, moreover, there are suspicions that health authorities are being pressured to lift the mandate based on political calculations rather than basically scientific data. Um, discussions on dropping the indoor mask mandate uh, gained momentum after Taejeon and South Chungcheong province requested the central government uh, to ease the requirements uh, earlier this month. Um, talks further gained pace after ruling uh, People Power Party lawmaker Kwon Song Dong met with the health minister 
Chogyong last week and expressed his hope that people will be able to celebrate the upcoming Lunar New Year holidays without masks. Mm. Um, and that's why this kind of Lunar New Year holiday timeline is being um, reported. Uh, but we we'll, won't know anything until the government does announce the two-stage plan, which is expected uh, to come on Friday. All right, so we'll keep our eyes out for that Friday announcement. With that, we move on to our final keyword of the day. Fiscal balance. So Korea's deficit in the uh, management fiscal balance is looking to top 100 trillion won this year. What's the latest? Right, well, so the management fiscal balance basically shows the state of the national economy. It takes away basically kind of, uh, you know, the fixed spending uh, after uh, government revenue is calculated. The pandemic over the past three years has kind of put the deficit hovering just below the 100 trillion mark. Uh, according to finance ministry data, uh, the loss was 86 trillion won as of October. Uh, the amount of losses has been increasing steadily over the past few years. That's why watchers believe the figure will top 100 trillion won uh, this year based on that October figure. Um, that's because there's been many government expenditures, uh, such as uh, COVID-related support funds. There's been a series of, you know, record budgets uh, mm. that uh, enabled for these funds to be handed out uh, to people hit by the um, pandemic and overall the, the general public uh, as well. Um, so, yeah, again, more gloomy economic data, unfortunately. <laughs> Thank you very much, Adam, for running through the details of those headlines. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay warm. Stay warm yourself. <laughs> Have a good one. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.